Well, it's certainly great to see all of you. If you are a guest with us, my name is David, and I'm the pastor, and we're so glad that you're here. We are in a series, as been just set up there on the bumper, about Saul of Tarsus. We know him better as Paul, but he was born Saul and from the city of Tarsus. And um, that's, that's kind of his for- formal name, I guess. And um, we began this series last week, going to go through the end of October. And last week, we began with the calling of, of Saul. Uh, and Jesus called him away from rebellion, away from persecuting the followers of Jesus to become a follower of Jesus. And in that, we saw, we saw this, that the story of Jesus is the most important story in the world. And how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. No one has shaped our faith in what we believe outside of Jesus like Paul. He is the one who took so much of what our faith is all about and put it in a way that we can really understand it and share it and teach it. But some of that struggle that Paul went through, some of the things he dealt with were steeped in controversy. That early in the life of the church, there was controversy constantly. And we come today in Acts chapter 15 to see really one of the earliest major controversies that we have in the scriptures, and in the New Testament. And what I want you to see from this message today is really a question I want to ask you, and to see how you can answer it, and how we can answer it, which is this, what is required of me if I want to be a Christian, if I want to follow Jesus? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. It's nothing more, nothing less than that. What is expected, what is required of me to follow Jesus? So we begin the message today and talking about the Christianity was changing. Early in his life, it was still changing. Uh, I'm a guy that hates change. I mean, I just despise it, which is ironic because every church I go to pastor, I bring an unbelievable amount of change. I brought a ton of change to this church. I have no problem changing your life. I just don't want you to change mine at all. <laughs> just don't do that. And I hear today, I hear, I hear when I read that Christianity needs to change. And, and really, the, the thought is that our culture is so much in conflict with what we believe that if we're going to reach our culture, we need to change because the culture is not, which is completely backwards to everything, you know, that we would hold in our faith. And, and what I find interesting about that is in the world today, Christianity is growing in so many places. In fact, in China, communist China, it's estimated by, by the year 2030, there will be more followers of Christ in China than in America. It's an amazing statistic. And I know there are more people in China, but it wasn't that long ago. In fact, when, when the communists took over China in the late 40s, they drove all the Christians out, all the missionaries out. Christianity became illegal. The fear was that there would not be any Christian witness in China. And here we are with the fact that 80 years after the communists came and drove all them out, there'll be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Same thing is true in India. In fact, Christianity, the one place that it seems to struggle the most, is the places you'd be surprised to think that. It's in Western culture. In fact, in Europe, especially Western Europe, evangelical Christianity is all but dead. There's just a small percentage of people who are followers of Christ. In, in our own culture, in our own country, I should say, Christianity is kind of at a, in a net zero place. You know, we lose some, we gain some here and there. Many denominations are, are, are dying off. And some of the mainline denominations are dying off. And I would just say it's probably a good thing because a lot of them have perverted their doctrine and their belief system. Even in Southern Baptist life, we are losing people every year in, 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 from a net growth standpoint. Now, that doesn't mean that Christianity itself is not growing. 
There are evangelical churches and groups that are just having great success in reaching people for Christ. The thing about it, and this, this statement was made probably, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. The first time I heard it, I said, yeah, that's probably right. People like Jesus, they just don't like the church. And that's true. And the church has brought that upon themselves. We have brought upon ourselves by our behavior and the way that we treat people who aren't fathers of Christ. They don't like us very much, but they like Jesus an awful lot. And we need to somehow come to understand that we're in this struggle with our culture. And our culture is so different than us. And it's not going to be the same. It's not going to go back to the way things once were. Our culture, as I've shared with you this past year quite a bit, and I will probably in the future be a major point of emphasis, our culture is defined by two sets of beliefs, two belief thoughts that go to the mind. One is relativism, that everything is relative. There is no moral absolutes. There is no absolute right and wrong, like a Bible or even a constitution. And you hear it all the time. You live your life. What's good for you is good for you. What's right for you is what's right for you. You live your truth. You live your reality. The other thing is syncretism. It's a blending of everything. You can take a little of this, a little of that, put it together, and you have what you want. That's our culture. But that's not our faith. So here, here's the question we need to ask. How do we connect with a culture that is so very different than us? How do we connect with a culture that's so very different than us? But I want you to know, that's always been the question that followers of Christ have asked. Because followers of Christ have always found themselves different than the culture around them. And when we come to Acts 15 in just a moment, that's really what's happening. Christianity had been around, when we get to Acts 15, for about 18 years, not quite 20 years. And Christianity was primarily Jewish in nature. By that I mean Jesus was Jewish, his apostles were Jewish, the first place that Christianity grew was in Jerusalem, which is Jewish, in Acts 1.8, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you'll be my witnesses. And you will start off in Jerusalem, which is Jewish, Judea, which is Jewish, Samaria, which is part Jewish, you know, part not. And then, he gets, then you'll go to the rest of the world. So it makes sense to understand that ultimately, early on, it was Jewish. And why not? You know, Jews, they believed, you know, that the Messiah was coming. And all of a sudden, Jesus come, and he's the Messiah. And they could still be Jew. I mean, you know, they no longer believed that their works saved them. They, didn't believe, they believed you saved by grace and faith, but they were still Jewish. They were circumcised. They followed all the ritual law. They did all the Jewish things. So to them, Christianity was Jewish. And all of a sudden, it wouldn't be much Jewish anymore. Early on, a few Gentiles had come to Christ. But now, all of a sudden, a lot were. And what had happened is, in 48 AD, the church at Antioch, which was north of Jerusalem which wasn't just Jewish, but a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. They had sent out two men, Paul and Barnabas. They went to the area of Asia Minor, what we call Turkey, and they began to share the gospel, and people began to flood to Jesus, and most of them were Gentiles. And so now you had a problem. Gentiles were becoming Christians, but they weren't being Jewish. What was going to happen? While many people were excited, word of this got back to Jerusalem. And in Acts 15, verse 1, here's where we pick up and see. Some men came down from Judea, that, that came down from the area of Jerusalem, to Antioch, to that church there. And they began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to, the law, custom, according to the custom of Moses. Now the word circumcision was to, to make you Jewish. Without going on the details, that was a sign of, of being Jewish. And so all that went with being Jewish, the law, the ceremonial law, all the sacrifices, all that's fine. But 
to say someone had to be circumcised, that was just basically a catch-all way of saying, you got to be Jewish. you got to do it. Because if you aren't circumcised, notice this, you cannot be saved. In other words, the word cannot be saved means it's impossible for you to have God forgive you of your sins and have God bring you into right relationship with him. God will not rescue you from your rebellion against him because you've rebelled against God. He won't rescue you from your rebellion unless you were Jewish. Now, this is a, a huge problem in, in the early church. And by the way, this was a Jerusalem church problem. This wasn't a problem in Antioch. The Jews in Antioch didn't have this problem. Some of the other Jewish believers throughout, you know, the Christian world at that time didn't have the problem, but they didn't in Jerusalem. And I get it. I mean, it was the place of tradition. It, I mean, it, this was where Christianity started. And it was Jewish. And they had all these things that were just a part of what they believed. And I get that because that's all they had known. If you were a Jew and you followed Jesus, you were Jewish, you did the Jewish things, the circumcision, and you had Passover, all of that. Listen, I come, I, I come from a strong Southern Baptist background. And I know our traditions and our ways. And not all of that is practiced and done anymore. And I get it because it's not necessary for salvation. No, but I still, I still kind of think it's important. Man, I don't, I get all that. You know, p- people still say, hey, you know, if we have a wedding at the church, can we have a dance? No. But David danced. But David wasn't Baptist. We don't, we don't, you're not going to dance and you're not going to have a champagne bar. You're not going to do that. Does it mean you're not saved? No. That's, and I get it. I understand that. Here's the problem. The Gentiles didn't want to be Jews. They never wanted to be Jews. Now, you'll see in the New Testament that there were people who were Gentiles who were called God-fearers. That means they accepted that there was one God. They worshiped the one God. They had faith in the one God. They followed the moral law, the Ten Commandments. But they still didn't become Jewish per se. I mean, to become Jewish was to go through the circumcision, all, all, all of the rituals, all, all of the ceremonial laws. They didn't do it because no one wanted to be Jewish because the Jews were weird. If you were a pagan, those were a weird group of people. And I'm telling you right now, to me, I still, I think of my Jewish friends, and if they're, if they're really into the faith, it's, it's a little weird to me. And I know that we come from a Judeo-Christian background, I get it, but I'm telling you, if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't be Jewish. That's not my number one option. <laughs> and so here they come, they're saying, you're, you're going to have to be Jewish. And I'm not going to be Jewish. They, here's the thing, they like Jesus, they didn't want to be Jewish. For one reason, the Jews always hated the Gentile. I mean, it was just this clash. There was this thing going on. And here's, here's what was happening. You've got to get this to understand what's going on. In addition to grace and faith, in order to be saved, one had to become Jewish. Now, they would say, yeah, grace and faith. Yeah, they'll, oh, yeah, we're saved by grace and faith. We're not saved by the law. But you still have to become Jewish. That wasn't going to happen. So you have a crisis going on here. And the truth of the matter is, it's the Jerusalem churches at risk of being irrelevant. And what's going to happen when all of that goes on? So here's, here's the crisis of what they're facing. How are they going to make this work? Verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with him, in other words, they argued intently. The two phrases are words for heated argument and debate. I mean, it was hot. I mean, some of you won't get this because you're fairly new to our world and maybe you're new to Christ and you're maybe new to, to being Baptist, but some of you will get this. This is like a, a church, Baptist business meeting discussing the color of the new carpet in the auditorium. It was that kind of fight. 
the people who wanted the ugly 70s orange and the people who wanted the ugly 70s green were going to have it out. And it was horrible. And the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas, these are the brothers who have the Antioch church, and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem. So Paul, Barnabas, and a couple other guys. I find this somewhat humorous that Luke's recording this. Now, the church at Antioch thought this was so important. They sent several people. Paul and Barnabas probably led the way, but these other people were important, and they don't get any mention by Luke. Can you imagine you're at that conference, the most important conference in all of Christian history? It's so important. Luke records it, and he says, you're not even worth mentioning. That's, that's how it goes. And they should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issues. Now, the apostles would be like Peter and John and those guys, and the elders... Probably guys like James, the brother of Jesus, who was actually probably leading the church at that time. They were to go to all of them. And so verse 3 says this, Therefore, after having been sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria. It's a long journey. And they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. They're saying, this is what happened. Now, last week I talked about Paul's conversion. I said, Paul wasn't technically converted. I mean, we talked about the conversion of Paul. I get it. I do too. But Paul didn't change gods and Paul didn't change religions. I mean, to Paul, like any Jew... Jesus was the fulfillment of what was promised. You know how I say almost every single week the Old Testament promises something, the New Testament delivers and fulfills it? That's what this is about. They believe their scriptures promised the Messiah. Jesus was it. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Everybody was excited. Notice, all of them, including the Jews. The Jewish believers were also excited, but they weren't in Jerusalem yet. Verse 4 says this, and when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church. Yeah, the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. I mean, everybody's excited. Well, not everybody. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, <laughs> some of the believers happen to be Pharisees. Now, some of you may have no idea who a Pharisee is. And I get it, and I don't have time to go into all that. You can research that on your own through the internet. But if you remember, you know, when I did my series in Mark back at the beginning of the year, one of the things that I told you that the Pharisees, who were religious leaders, along with Sadducees and others, but the Pharisees were strict legalists in the Jewish world. And basically, they developed a system of righteousness apart from faith in order to be saved, the oral law, the traditions, and all that. And so Jesus clashed with the Pharisees. But the Pharisees also were people who believed in Messiah and in resurrection. And some of them were pretty good, honorable, and noble. Paul became a follower. Nicodemus became a follower. Joseph of Arimathea became a follower. Some became followers. Obviously, a lot more became. There were over 6,000 Pharisees. Some are going to come to Jesus, but they were traditionalists. They were the most fundamental of the fundamental. I'll use this analogy, and if this analogy bothers you, I'm sorry. Just don't, don't hold it against me. But it, they'd be like the people in the church that said, you have, to pray, uh, you, know, you have to read only the King James Version of the Bible, and women, the hem of your skirt can't come above your knee. They're that part of the church, okay? You kind of get that group. Some of you knew that group better than the others. Some of you have never experienced them. Thank God that you have not experienced them. It is necessary, it is required, it is imperative to circumcise them and to direct them, that is command them, to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they can't be saved. They're not Jewish. That was the conflict. Now while this was going on, something else was happening in the life of the church. Paul and Barnabas had gone to Asia Minor, shared the gospel, 
People were converted. And when the word of that got back to the church at Jerusalem, there was an issue. This is why we're doing this. So we know from the book of Galatians that some men left the church at Jerusalem. And they went up to some of the churches in Asia Minor. And they began to teach them that grace and faith weren't enough. Paul got you started, but you need to become Jewish. And some of the Galatian people were believing that. So... You know, there, there's some debate when the book of Galatians was written. If you ever come across that, it doesn't, change the, it doesn't change the meaning or intent one bit. But what you see in the book of Galatians is parallel to what's happening here. Now, if the book of Galatians was written after Acts 15, Paul most likely would have included what's happened in Acts 15 because that would have basically ended all the discussion. But most likely, while Paul was making this journey over a several-week period from Antioch to Jerusalem, the controversy broke out in Galatia, in Asia Minor. So he wrote the book of Galatians during that time. And he dealt with it. And he said, and I'm, so, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. In other words, you just got saved. And already you're deserting the gospel for something else. And in verse 8 of uh, Galatians chapter 1, this is what Paul writes. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach you a gospel contrary to what we appreciate you. In other words, if it's me or an angel, I don't care who it is. If another gospel is preached to you, and by now, by this time, gospel is synonymous with Jesus, okay? It's the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection. Paul even defines it in 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus, he's to be accursed. The word cursed means to be damned. Let me put it to you this way. Paul's saying, where I, kind of where I come from, if they add to the gospel or take away from the gospel, they can go to hell. That's what he's saying. That's why this is so important. When they get then to Jerusalem with all this going on and they begin to meet, the first one to speak is Peter. And I'm not going to read the passage to you, but in Peter in verse, you know, six up to verse 11, I'll read verse 11 in a minute, but Peter begins to speak. Now Peter up to this point is the main guy. He is the Peter, the rock. And Peter's critical to what's going on in the life of the church. And so Peter gets up and reminds them, listen, the Holy Spirit appeared to me. I went to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. He became a follower of Christ. He received the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. We all rejoice. So why are we adding the law back towards the Gentiles? We couldn't keep the law. Our forefathers couldn't keep the law. It was a burden none of us could keep. Why are we breaking their neck with this? In verse 11, here's what Peter says. But we believe. That we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is Peter. We believe, we know, we have confidence that we are saved, rescued from our rebellion against God by grace and only grace. No works. Only grace of the Lord Jesus. In the same way as they are also. They're saved. The same way. And in verse 12. All the people kept silent. Like you are right now. <laughs> And they then were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. They told the story. And at this point, the church was at a crossroads because it was changing. It was becoming Gentile. What would they do? I want you to know the early church got it right. They got it right, because now another of the leaders of the church is going to speak, James, the brother of Jesus, who by now is probably the pastor of the church. Now, Peter is, is, is Peter. He's the guy over, you know, he, he's the main apostle of all apostles, you know, he did all that. But 
In that local church in Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a believer like Paul, he never was a follower of Christ till after the resurrection. He was leading. And this is what James says in verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment, it is my decision as your pastor, he was saying, that we do not cause trouble or make it hard or difficult for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. Here's what he says. We're no longer going to make it difficult for people to follow Jesus. They don't have to be Jewish. It's just too hard. They can't do it. And from that came a fundamental principle that we hold to this day. Which begs kind of the question that I want to ask to those of you who are our followers of Jesus and to our church. Why do we keep making it hard for people to follow Jesus? Why do we make it hard for them? Because some of you do. You know what we do? We have requirements for how they have to behave. Well, you've got to behave a certain way. I mean, think about how uncomfortable we are when certain types of people may come into our church. I can remember those days. The way they dressed. Man, you don't belong here. Or we knew something about their lifestyle. You, their problems they had. That, that lifestyle. That why, they, need to, they need to get fixed before they come to church. Because you know why? Because all of us in church, we're holy, special people. And we don't want them with us. You know, the alcoholic, the drug addict, you need to change your life before God will accept you. The person live in sexual sin, whatever that sexual sin may be, and they're all lumped into one kind of sexual sin in the eyes of God. You know, you need to change your life before you come here. Oh, we do that. Have any of you ever thought that or done that? If so, you should feel embarrassed about it. Probably ask God to forgive you. And sometimes we require them to have certain beliefs. Well, you're okay to come here. But you need to believe these things. Before you come to Jesus, you're going to have to believe all the Bible. All of it. If you don't believe all of it, you can't become a follower of Jesus. You've got to believe certain things that we Baptists believe. If you even believe for one iota like a Presbyterian or Methodist, you can't come to Christ. Now that might be true, but we don't tell them that. <laughs> and we make it hard because we just don't share Jesus because we really don't want them to come to Jesus. But James wasn't through. He had more to say. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. He said, we're not going to make it hard for them to come to Jesus, but then we're going to write to these Gentiles, and these Gentiles believers, there's, there's still certain things you got to understand. Now, this, I've always found this somewhat confusing to me, because James is saying, you don't have to follow the ceremonial laws of Judaism. You don't have to be Jewish to be saved, but, once you, but, but you need to do certain Jewish things, which makes no sense. And I know, you know, we, we, we reconcile this, and I know how we reconcile it, and I agree with it for the most part, that, you know, that they, the fellowship of the church was at stake, and so what the Gentile believers needed to consider a little bit of the Jewish believers and how they felt, and I understand that. But most of the Gentile believers were never going to be in Jerusalem, so they didn't care. But what really is being said is this. Understand, all four of those things, anything contaminated by an idol, anything that was involved in idol worship, the sexual immorality with most likely the sexual sin associated with ritual prostitution in the temples. They would, they would take their, their animals and they would not slaughter their throats like Jews did, but in a sacrifice they would strangle them and then eat them. It was all part of, of their worship. What James is saying is this. You need to leave behind your pagan ways. You can't, we don't make it hard for you to follow Jesus, but once you follow Jesus, you can't still be pagan. 
You can't still live like a pagan and follow Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. If you're not a follower of Christ, understand this. You don't have to do or become something to follow Jesus. But once you follow Jesus, you will do and be different than before. You can't say you follow Jesus and still live like a person who doesn't follow Jesus. Why do non-believers make it so hard on themselves to become a believer? We do that in our culture. We see it. And some churches do this too. We're so enamored with trying to connect with the culture that we, 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 we want to let them keep living like non-believers. In fact, here's what, here's what happens to a lot of non-believers. What they want to do is say, I'll, I'll, come, I'll follow Jesus. I'll leverage Jesus, but I want to keep living the way I, I live. I want Jesus to affirm my life, my, my lifestyle, what I believe, how I do. That's what we see three times this week. I, I, I read about someone in the world of politics, in a political issue, leveraging Jesus to justify their view. Three times. A couple of, uh, uh, a candidate for a governor, a mayor, and a, somebody on one of the TV shows. And, and, and Republicans do it, Democrats do it, red do it, blue do it, liberals, they all do it. We all leverage Jesus. Sometimes I'll preach about the designer Jesus, that we designed the Jesus after our own imagination. We do that to justify the way we live our life. We're okay with Jesus because he loves us. We're okay and you're not okay. And you've made it hard for you to come be a follower of Christ. They ask the question, how do we connect with a culture? It's so different than us and they are different to me and what I believe and it's not gonna change. Here's something that we've got to understand. This is important. Don't expect people who are not followers of Jesus to live like followers of Jesus. Quit expecting people who don't follow Jesus to live like they follow Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus, quit trying to change what it means to follow Jesus. Quit trying to say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I don't live like a follower of Jesus, but Jesus still loves the way I live my life. That doesn't work. Which brings me back to the original question. What is required of me to be a Christian if I want to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us that. Way back the first of the year when I did the series of Mark, I preached the message where Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. To repent and believe are the same thing, two sides of the same coin. To repent is to turn away. Turn away from your life of you. You have lived a life in rebellion against God where you follow you. You need to repent and turn away from that. And what you need to do is believe the gospel and the gospel is the good news and the good news is always centered around a person and that person is Jesus. He said then, come follow me, follow me, follow me. Paul took that message of Jesus and when he wrote to the church at Rome, he kind of made it kind of like a doctrinal statement, something to teach and he said this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you confess that he and he alone is Lord, you're not Lord, only he is Lord. So you've got to repent and turn to him. And if you confess that, and if you believe, if you have faith, not just in the act of the resurrection, but what it means is if you have faith in the one who has been raised from the dead, then you'll be saved from your rebellion against God. It's just that there's nothing more to that. So let me just tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't add to that. Don't add anything to what I just told you. 
Repent, believe the gospel, follow me. Romans 10, 9. You got it. You don't need anything else. Don't add anything to add and you're okay. Here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then do that. Don't change it. Do that. Turn away from your sin and your rebellion against God, which is where you're living, and follow Jesus. Confess he's Lord. Trust the resurrected Lord. Here's the thing you need to realize. Follow Jesus his way. He will change your life. Now, all of us need our life changed. But you and I can't change it. Jesus can. So let's just do this. Let's trust Jesus and follow him. And he'll change our life. Let's tell people to follow Jesus. And don't make it hard on them. And he'll change their life. And then the story of Jesus will become their story. Just like it was for me and some of you. I don't think Paul liked controversy. Oh, it followed him. And the bumper, I wanted all that shared because Paul was brutalized for Christ. Why? What would compel a man to do that? Because Jesus changed his life. He wants to change your life. And so there was controversy. And it was over faith. And Paul weighed into the controversy. And because he did that, we now have an understanding that we don't make it hard for people to follow Jesus. Have you done that? Have you made it hard for someone to follow Christ? Stop. Just stop. Ask God to forgive you, not them, but you. And then you go find a way to share with them the story of Jesus that doesn't make it difficult for them to follow Jesus. Have you made it hard in your own life to follow Jesus? You can't design your own Jesus and think it's okay. What you have to do is turn away from your rebellion against God. Trust Jesus with your life and follow him. You can do that today. And in just a moment, when I'm up here and a couple of others, if you want to come and give your life to Christ, you can. If you want to come and talk to one of us and pray with one of us, you can. If you want to join the church, you can. You can do any of those things. But understand this. When you leave here today, be sure when you leave, you have not made it hard to follow Christ. So, Father, the story of Jesus is the greatest story of all. And it can intersect our story. That's what we want, Father. The impact of the story of Christ in our life. But God, we can't make it difficult. It's so simple. Help us to turn from our sin and rebellion against God to follow Jesus. And if anyone needs to do that, let them do that now. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, let us take the story of Jesus and share it with people so they can follow Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here. You come.